This is your award-winning BCFM on 93.2, 24 hours a day. My name is Shona Jemfrey. I'm presenting this program for several months for the amazing Penny Southgate, who's having a well-deserved break. We're going to be looking at some news stories related to the environment, both in Bristol and further afield. We're going to play some tunes. And today we're going to be covering a topic that has been getting a lot of strong reactions, both for and against within Bristol, within the local neighbourhood. That is the Livable Neighbourhood Scheme, also known, I think, as the Low Traffic Neighbourhoods. This scheme is going to affect Lawrence Hill and St George. And there's been a lot of talk about to what extent will it actually help how is it going to affect the day-to-day lives of those in the area how bad is the air quality in the neighborhood is this necessary today we're going to be talking to two local folk who support the scheme and then in the next couple of weeks we're hoping to get into the studio some of the residents opposed to the scheme who can talk about their worries and why they feel it's not a good idea so first today in the studio we have rob and tom hello how are you both hello doing well yeah doing all right yeah <laughs> one day at a time one day at a time considering the state of the planet and everything and you know cost of living crisis doing mm. okay all yeah. right yeah, yeah. <laughs> did you have a okay bank holiday yeah i've just come back from a festival so um yeah i'm still f- sort of readjusting to life in bristol you were working at the festival weren't you it wasn't, was, it wasn't yeah, just yeah. a jolly yeah 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 yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just had a nice quiet weekend away in Devon. Oh, very nice. House, Lovely. So, yeah, I'm feeling a little refreshed. Very good. So, welcome to One Planet. Thanks everyone for joining us. Settle in for what's sure to be an interesting hour. We're going to start by looking at um, some of the headlines uh, being covered in the newspapers, both nationally and locally. And we'll start with the negative one. We'll, we will have a positive one in there as well. So, a first one is from The Guardian. Dramatic climate action needed to curtail crazy extreme weather. Heat waves, wildfires and floods are just the tip of the iceberg leading climate scientists say and of course we've seen some of that in Bristol haven't we over the weekend with the flash flooding and the crazy rain happening did you guys get caught in the rain on Saturday or oh, you weren't well you weren't you both weren't here but did it happen where you were or did you see no, photos it wasn't too bad where we were but um yeah I mean every 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 kind of sort of news story you hear about this now is getting more and more alarming isn't it and we've yeah, we've got a vanishingly small amount of time to sort of deal with it at the sort of global scale. So, yeah, it's starting to get really worrying. Yeah, yeah. And so apparently the heat waves, wildfires and floods experienced at the minute um, are just the type of the iceberg compared to some of the worst effects to come, with the scientists are saying, with limitations in climate models leaving the world flying partially blind into the future. They, the scientists are saying that the rise in global temperatures is entirely in line with decades of warnings and has been boosted this year by the return of the El Nino climate pattern. But they said that people in places were more vulnerable to extreme weather than expected and were suffering effects never previously experienced as climate records were shattered. July was the hottest month in human history and people around the world are suffering the consequences, said a professor at the University of Leeds. Um, this will become the average summer in 10 years time unless the world cooperates and puts climate action on top of the agenda. Scientists are clear that the uh, one action is crucial, slashing the burning of fossil fuels down to zero, and uh, we need that we need to do that now, not sometime when we've allowed companies to make all the money they possibly can. That's uh, Dr. Otto at the Imperial College of London. The UN is convening a climate ambition summit on the 20th of September, um, and they are saying that almost all the indicators on climate are pointing in the wrong direction, says Amina Mohammed, the UN's Deputy Secretary General. The World Meteorological Organization has warned that the next five years are likely to be the hottest on record, hitting vulnerable communities the hardest. So, and then 
so we'll move on to another article, another more positive one in The Guardian. A prehistoric bird once thought extinct returns to the New Zealand wild. In New Zealand, the return of wild Takahe populations marks a cautiously celebrated conservation victory and the return of one of the world's rarest creatures. The bird had been formally declared extinct in 1898, their already reduced population devastated by the arrival of European settlers' animal companions like stoats, cats, ferrets and rats. But after the bird's rediscovery in 1948, their numbers are now at about 500 and they're growing at about 8% a year. Apparently, when the conservationists originally gathered the eggs and the chicks were hatched, they had to be they were raised by workers wearing sock puppets with the birds red beaks on them which i think is very cute um, after switching to breeding the birds in captivity the department of conservation has gradually reintroduced them to a few island sanctuaries and yet they are hoping the country's in the midst of a national effort to wipe out its worst introduced predators rats possums and stoats by 2050 so that's very positive and then a final news story, a local one, Bristol 24-7. Bristol made smart bike lights hopes to redefine safety and security for cyclists. A Bristol company has developed what they say is a revolutionary smart bike light redefining cyclist safety. Um, it's called Lightbug, and the uh, bike light uh, has advanced anti-theft features, GPS integration, and it's very durable. They are currently crowdfunding. They've promised that the new smart bike light is brighter than your car headlight and more secure than your relationship which I feel is a burn um, but uh, you know fair play uh, it was founded in 2017 by father and son duo and the idea is that this will hopefully make uh, cycling feel safer I mean do you guys do you cycle much what do you think of Bristol as a cycling city my bike got stolen back in March and oh, I'm no. still not over <laughs> it enough to replace it so I've, I've been using the voice scooters which I hear uh, their time is limited. Yeah, I think, actually. but they're being replaced with more scooters, so there will be more. It just won't be void ones, I hear. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's been replaced, and then also there'll be like higher bikes as well as part of the scheme. Oh, higher bikes. Yeah, I mean, I cycle. Yeah, I've got two young kids, so I cycle sometimes with them on the back of my bike or in a bike trailer, and that's sometimes a bit scary in Bristol because. Yeah, there's limited space. It's not as protected as it should be. So there's all kinds of things we need to solve there, really, isn't there? Yeah, and what about at night time? How do you feel cycling at night? Um, I try not to, actually, to be honest with you. Um, not least because I'm really bad at remembering to take my lights with me. So if that that, that sounds bike like company... you need some some of these, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sounds like I need some of them. Because the, the yeah, because bike lights can vary. Like my partner, his bike lights have been nicked before. Like even though they're quite cheap, you know, people are still if you leave them on, they're likely to get nicked. So if yeah. these ones are like more anti theft. Yeah, I mean, I, that sounds like. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want to promote them too much. I don't know. I don't know anything <laughs> we about don't them, know much yeah, about them. Sounds we're pretty just, good to me. We're just we're just shouting <laughs> out for Bristol, Bristol, uh, but you know, potentially leading the way in this. So we will see. Um, yeah, well, we'll play some more music now, and then we will uh, come back and we'll get into the meat of the discussion. Unless, have you, is there any other uh, news that has caught you, your guys's eyes in the last week or so? I haven't I've been at a festival. I haven't you've really, been, you've really, been switched really, off from really the world a little news, bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I yeah. needed to meet out my uh, news consumption. Yeah, it can get a bit much, can't it? Yeah. All right, well, we'll play a bit of music and then we'll come and we'll get back into the meat of it. And why should we have low traffic neighbourhoods? Are they really a good idea? We'll get onto that in a minute. 
And that was the Chemical Workers song by The Great Big Sea. Good morning and welcome back to BCFM. It's the One Love One Planet show with Shona here on BCFM. And we are about to get into the nitty gritty of what's been a very controversial issue in Bristol over the past few months is the proposed low traffic neighbourhood scheme um, that's going to affect Lawrence Hill and St. George. And there's a lot of strong feelings both for and against it. So today we're hearing from some local folk who uh, support it, who want it to happen. And then in the next week or so, we're going to hear from some local folk who are opposed to it, who do not want it to happen. So uh, in the studio for today, we've got Rob and Tom. Hello, both. How hello. are you at the hello, minute? Hello. Hi. All good. Um, so yeah, please, let's get into it. Can you explain? So you're both obviously, I don't know, fans. Would you describe yourself as fans of the idea? Um, can you explain to me and to listeners what there's what the proposed scheme actually is. Uh, yeah, I'd say I'm a fan, big fan. Yeah, um, and what the proposed scheme does, it says there's a certain number of roads that are smaller roads that aren't main sort of roads, you know, like Church Road, um, that have a lot of traffic on that don't need to have a lot of traffic on. So the idea is to sort of like limit the traffic on those roads by putting up like modal filters, which are like blockages in the road, which allow like um, bikes and pedestrians and mobility scooters through, but they don't allow um, uh, they don't have cars through and so that means that all the traffic is kept on the main roads and those areas become sort of lower you know better better air quality but also easier to cycle and walk around so it's essentially doing that it doesn't mean that you kind of move sort of um uh, access remove access people can still get their cars in and out of their residence they just have to go by a slightly different route to get in um and that and that means that we've just got a sort of much better sort of environment for people to kind of use the other forms of transport that we need to move towards you know obviously the climate crisis obviously the air quality crisis in bristol we need to kind of get to safe levels so that's kind of part of the strategy i think across the whole city to kind of get that get to that point is the air quality that bad in this area because i've had people tell me that they've looked at the council's website or the council's data and actually it's not i think like saint michael's hill is maybe the worst area but like actually barton hill and saint george are not actually that bad um, St George is pretty terrible I and mean, if you walk up Church Road anywhere and if you walk walk through the side streets as well you will feel it I, I feel it every time I'm, I'm around there um, it, it isn't actually about like specific air quality events it's about the whole sort of structure of the way that we we arrange ourselves in terms of the way we move about the city um, even if you look at one area um, you might not see you know absolutely high spikes but overall Bristol's air quality is in dangerous you know it's above WHO guidelines so basically we're we've got illegal levels of air pollution so we need to sort of sort that out in my view <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but isn't is so my understanding is that so there's these small roads um sort of around in that area between say Netham Park and the river and then between uh, Church Road and so the idea being that people will no longer be able to drive all the way through but isn't that just going to push traffic onto Church Road instead I think uh, it, it probably will as a result and I think it's a bit counterintuitive the idea that increasing traffic in one area is going to overall make traffic better but I, th I think it's important to look at the bigger picture um, in that the, the overall aim is to try and make it relatively easier for people to use other modes of transport and I understand it's very frustrating for people to see that this is one isolated intervention that arguably is restricting the ability for car owners to drive exactly where they want and to go the, the quickest possible route um, but if that makes it 
relatively easier for people to walk or cycle or theoretically to get the bus. I mean, ideally, improvements to the bus service would go along with this type of thing. But um, we get what we get. <laughs> and um, so over time, the, the idea, I think, is, mm -hmm. and Rob's much more knowledgeable about this, I think, than I am, but I think the evidence does show with um, when these interventions are made, it does make traffic worse for a short period of time. And then as people adjust to the new way that the road layouts exist and um, consider other options, over time, fewer people use their cars or, or yeah. people use their cars for fewer journeys. So actually, um, it it will be, it will sort of, the levels of traffic will go back to what they were previously. And there's sort of a natural equilibrium mm. um, because yeah. people just won't, drive if they if they know they're going to be sat in traffic for 40 minutes when they can walk it in half an hour mm -hmm. um those who are able to walk then that they might reconsider that option yeah and, and the thing to remember is that um traffic isn't like water in pipes it's not like if you make a blockage at one point and it will find like the nearest point actually when you block traffic or remove uh, space for cars and traffic you actually find that that reallocated space doesn't result in more cars necessarily it means that cars reduce if think about a motorway and the opposite effect if, if you have a motorway and you add an extra lane it actually encourages more traffic and the opposite is true if you take away space is it discourages more traffic more people are able to use that space for something else as we've just been saying like walking and cycling yeah i mean you're saying walking and cycling and buses which sounds very good but i um, mean could we not be using this money instead to improve the bus service which everyone in bristol mm -hmm. agrees is dire well, in, in a sort of very literal sense, no, because it's a specific funding pot. So no, we couldn't use this bus, this, this specific money to fund the buses. But yes, of course, we need to do that in, hand in hand. These things need to occur. That isn't always the case. Uh, so you have to think about how you balance the, you know, the need for uh, increasing uh, public transport provision, more routes going down Church Road in particular, but also through the community. And in fact, one of the bus routes that goes through the community, the 36, I think it is, mm. um, will be vastly improved because it won't have loads... Well, it won't have, it will have, still have some cars in the way on the sort of main uh, main road, in this case, Blacksmith Road. But it will actually, in, you know, increase the, um, the, the service there because it will give people a greater sense of reliability. Fewer cars in the way means they're not as congested and you can get through easier. So it actually has a good effect on buses, this kind of scheme. If we saw it over a, a greater area, it would have an even better uh, result is that more buses would be able to get through and not be held up and be more reliable. And, OK, yeah, we need first bus and the council to work much harder to get better bus provision, sort out the bus driver crisis and all the different problems there are with the buses. Uh, we have to do that hand in hand. But at the same time, we need to do something about about the levels of traffic there are in of itself, I think. So the buses, so because we're talking about these modal filters, because I think it's been a bit confusing in that um, people have talked about like roads being closed off and then roads won't be closed off, but you can't drive through them. So the buses will or won't be able to get through them. And what about emergency vehicles? Uh, uh, did you know about the emergency? Yeah, so I, yeah. I believe there's plans for a bus gate yeah. on Avon, Avonvale Road. Yeah. Um, so presumably emergency vehicles would be allowed through that and gate so as well. so a bus gate is something where, what does that look like? How does that work? I think it's it, an electronic surveillance, oh, well, that's not the right word, <laughs> like an ANPR, automatic, automatic number plate recognition um, system. So it'll catch you if you're in a normal 
private car, but I don't, I'm not sure about taxis, but buses certainly would be allowed to go through. Uh, the, the last I heard, they're going to allow most vehicles through, of course, but not necessarily taxis. I don't know whether that's changed. I think that is used in many places where they do this similar low traffic neighbourhood scheme. They will let taxis and obviously emergency vehicles through. Um, the bus gate is just basically a way of prioritising the bus use so that there aren't other vehicles going through that way. And again, it's just a way of rerouting traffic away from routes that they don't need. it doesn't need to be on it's another form of modal filter but just for buses instead of for bikes and walk and pedestrians i think it's it's interesting that there's this been this sort of narrative and it's sort of fallen a little bit into this sort of um wider culture war discussion going on at the moment with sort of Mm. political figures jumping on on the bandwagon to talk about sort of the the war on cars and all this stuff so i i think it's it's important to be sensitive that like we we can talk in terms of modal filters, but for people who are very much in a mindset and for many people in, in a, a real situation where they are dependent on their car because the system that we've created over the decades has forced people to be dependent on their car. And I'm aware lots of people listening to the radio right now are probably driving in their car and, and doing that because that's the only option that feels available to them at the moment. Um, that it does feel like a road closure um and but the the language that we're using to describe these interventions is really important and Mm. the fact is that there's the roads are not being closed for people to use it's just saying a little bit more restriction about what vehicles are allowed through there and so for people who are on push bikes or presumably motorbikes will have no problem getting through these modal filters which is basically just a, a, a slightly narrower barrier um, to stop car width vehicles getting through on on residential side streets, um, so I think we're seeing a wider shift culturally yeah. at the moment where we're really having to grapple with our perspective on how we move through spaces, particularly in the city, and this understanding that the right to move through the city is not necessarily tied to the right to use four wheels in all scenarios and in all environments. Um, and there's, I think it's a perfectly natural and understandable response for people that that, that feels quite sort of scary, perhaps, or, or combative, that it's like we're taking away your ability to drive the car. But it's it, no, there's nowhere that will be inaccessible by car. It's literally just changing the routes that people make to try and... Um, and, and after a, after a period of time, as Thomas said earlier, you know, people very quickly get used to these things. Look at any scheme that's gone in, and, and actually, Bristol already has uh, livable neighbourhoods or low traffic neighbourhood schemes. It's, they're called cul-de-sacs. You know, basically, like we already have a lot of this stuff in our cities, and we just take it for granted. We don't even think about it. Oh, but that's we is, can't get. Is that not a bit different? Because when you move into a cul-de-sac, you know what you're getting into. Well, some of the people who mm. are living in this area, mm. um, you know, I've heard, you know, people saying this is going to really affect my ability to do my job because I'm a carer who needs to visit other mm. people's homes. I need to use my car to get around. This is really going to add lots of time to my journey. I'm going to mm. struggle to get to school to pick my kids up from school on time or drop them off on time. So this is sort of mm. imposing, it, it feels, it could feel that it's imposing sort of restrictions on that people didn't sign up for. Well, I mean, the, uh, the, just to take the imposition thing, I think, the, the key thing is that this has had like a very long gestation period. There's been like a year and a half or so mm-hmm. where people have fed in stuff and been able to come to consultation meetings. There's been big signs come up, but there's been loads of letters sent out. So I do think it's not an imposition. It's been something that's worked through 
and people have given their views and they can still give their views. So I don't think it is an, I mean, anything that the council does in the position. But on, on the wider point, I think when it comes down to it, it's just an extra couple of minutes on most people's journeys. And again, you, you, you get used to that very quickly. And I don't see that adding an extra one or two minutes to a journey is going to massively affect anyone's journey. And I know that sounds harsh, but at the same time, I also think realistically that isn't what, what the majority of people will experience. What they'll experience is they'll just have to go a different route out of their, out of their home, out of their street, onto a main road to get where they need to go. And that's what we need to do is that we need to have the traffic where the load can carry it not on these constricted streets where it affects safety for and there's there's two schools two three schools in the area who you know are going to have you know much safer streets for children to move around i've been down to some of those those schools seen how terrible it is at school runtime and how much traffic passes through those streets and you just think why are we allowing that to continue we should be doing something about that and this is the way to do it to, to constrict the, the traffic hey, on those streets. We, well, we, okay, we so, have to keep talking about the, the yeah. dire bus services and the fact that they do require more funding and, yeah. and more, perhaps more council involvement as well. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not an expert on buses, but I think it's a lot of people have quite valid concerns that this is going to make, even if mm. it is just a couple of minutes on each journey. Um, I mean, I live just sort of on the edge of the Barton Hill part of the low traffic neighbourhood zone and you know it's a significantly deprived area so i think for people who are perhaps working multiple jobs and need to get their kids around it's uh, yeah. um i think there there's definitely sorry but i was going to say i think one of the things that we've when it's been named livable neighborhoods i think that is actually problematic at the start i thought that's a really good idea because it gives people the sense that it's not just about the traffic it's also about all the other kind of things you can bring in good stuff on the street like more greenery mm. more park bench you know things that people want to see in their area bicycle that, parking bicycle parking things like that you know that people will stop seeing it as a kind of like just a traffic thing but in actual fact i think that was confusing for some communities or at least are not understood by some communities and that has led to people not understanding that, yeah, this is about um, making these, yeah, you know, these measures to um, stop traffic from through traffic from going through. Um, so I actually think uh, it's much better to just call them low traffic neighbourhoods because then people are clear that that's what you're aiming to do. Um, we've, we we shouldn't shy away from the fact that that's what 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 the schemes are trying to do. Yeah, and then we can have a, an honest sort of discussion and mm. debate about it. Mm. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of the upset, I think, is from people feeling like using this language, like livable neighbourhood and modal filter, yeah, feels yeah. like it's sort of obfuscating yeah. the reality, which is that, yes, there are too many cars in the city and we want to make it a little bit more inconvenient, at least in the short term, mm. for people to be able to drive their car the most direct route that they're used to at the moment mm. in order that over the period of the weeks and months that that's in place a certain percentage of people um, make a shift to other modes as it suits them, given that new environment, which actually in the end balances out anyways in terms of, um, yeah, like traffic on the main roads yeah. where, where well, it's being funneled. Lots to think about there. So, and if you have a view on this, you get in touch with us by WhatsApp at oh seven five zero one eight two zero zero seven five. That's oh seven five zero one eight two zero zero seven five, or that is also on our website. We're going to play some music, and then we will come back to you with more debate on this. Um, Tom, I think you had a suggestion for a song. Do you want to introduce it? 
Oh yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of uh, Bristol band Idols, and um, this is Anxiety. And that was Anxiety by Idols. And you're back in the studio with us here at One Love, One Planet on BCFM Radio talking all about the controversial low traffic uh, neighbourhood scheme as we've decided to call it because that's the least confusing option. Low traffic neighbourhood scheme, also known as a livable neighbourhood scheme, which is coming into uh coming in in the next few months autumn or winter roughly isn't it i don't think we have an exact date yet i think october was the suggestion but i think it's probably been pushed back a little bit in order to allow a little more time for consultation because i I think a lot of the opposition um to it sort of was starting to mount right towards the end of the the sort of consultation period so yeah and i think i heard you know engagement required um like barton hill area has is a very diverse community and i think the only from what i heard the only consultation papers and stuff that went out were in english so Mm. people who you know mainly speak somali or mainly speak arabic or other languages Mm. were feeling that they hadn't been spoken to or consulted um so yeah we were so we're talking uh, a bit about what it actually is the low traffic neighborhood scheme and the idea being that to cut down on the amount of through traffic going through to stop rat running basically um but how is it or is it different to the clean air zone or the ULES zones from london because i've been seeing a lot of ULES no to ULES signs popping up yes yeah, strange one that that's kind of been linked to it because they are very very different things i mean obviously bristol's got a clean air zone now in the center but ULES in london is in fact it's being expanded today literally the first day of operation is today oh, wow. uh, where they've expanded it to the outer london areas um and this has been seen as a, a great crackdown when you know nine out of ten cars are already compliant so it won't need to change so it's actually a relatively small measure that massively impacts health it, like really will improve public health in london but it's got really nothing to do with livable neighbourhoods. No, it's the livable neighbourhood scheme is is not a sort of citywide thing at this point. It's just one specific neighbourhood, obviously, as the name suggests. And um, it's it just seems strange to me when we saw those sort of signs of people linking those two, and it makes me think about what is yeah going on. I think you were talking earlier, Tom, about like the culture war, and I feel like the there's a lot of kind of um, disparate elements that people are seeing as like restrictions of their liberty or freedom. Um, and, and it's and and that's in my view not the case. I just think that, like you know the freedom to drive a car. You know that's not a free. It's not actually a freedom. It's not a right. You know there are certain certain cities in the world that, that don't don't have many cars at all, and it's really easy to get around. So you know obviously they don't have don't see it as a right. I think that we've got to kind of bring the temperature down on that and kind of think through what actually is the thing that that people are protesting about. Is it just the right to drive a car around um, or is it something deeper? I think there's some interesting theories going around from some of the groups that have been promoting sort of anti-ULES and anti-livable neighbourhood stuff, um, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm worried, you know, I, I want people to have good information and good evidence-based information. And if you look at the evidence when it comes to this stuff, it's pretty cut and dried. You know, livable neighbourhoods improve people's quality of life. They mean that people can get around easier, that, that public health is better. Yeah, so, so what sort of evidence like, is there? You know, has, has, this, been, has this happened in other cities? Um, you know, I think I read that it has and it was controversial there as well. What sort of has been the impact? I mean, it's, it's, always, it's always met with... Contra- like, basically, every time you introduce a scheme like this, there will always be people very adamantly opposed to it. But what people have found is if you just push through that, and it's it's what's called the Goodwin curve. Basically, there's a when when public interest um, peaks in it, you, you've got a good chance of getting it through, and then it sort of drops down as people realise, oh my goodness, this is going to affect my life in some way, even in a small way. But as as soon as as soon as the scheme goes in, 
that curve starts to lift and people start to become more satisfied with it as they realize that it didn't make a massive difference to their lives and actually it may have even improved them. Uh, so I think that's the majority of cases. Now you will find places where it's been implemented badly, um, like, any, like any kind of transport scheme has been implemented badly or that it hasn't you know, had um, public backing when it's been put in. But where, where it has got public backing and where the politicians particularly have pushed through and implemented these things, it's turned out that the vast, vast majority of cases people have been in support of it, much more so after the scheme than before it. And so I think that's the key message here is that people need to realise that when you put this, it's always going to be unpopular, but when it comes in, people generally, the support rises as time goes on and more and more people support it and think it's just a natural part of their lives. So I think that's what we'll see, hopefully, in East Bristol. Yeah, I suppose it's, I mean, it, so, okay, so it's not, people won't have to, people living in these areas won't have to change their cars. It's not like they, it's not like the clean air zone is expanding to cover these areas where they won't, so they won't have to change their cars, but they will have to take a longer route. And you're saying that, you know, people sort of get used to it, but is it, does it not just feel like it's punishing ordinary people who are just trying to get a bite? And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the air quality is not great, but they're kind of okay with it. They're used to it. And does it not feel like kind of imposing, yeah, sort of punishing ordinary people for and with the cost of fuel being an issue as well? It's punishing for one or two minutes change their journey. I mean, that's a simple, a simple way of putting it. I mean, if that's a punishment, yeah, I mean, maybe it's a slight punishment, but it, it's a stick. It's a stick rather yeah. than a carrot, exactly. I suppose, approach yeah. in terms of um, the agenda to, to reduce car traffic. Um, and I think we have to be upfront about that, that it, it is in that sense, it's it's take, making it a little bit harder to drive in order for the the wider goal of making it relatively easier to use, <clears throat> sorry, to use other more sustainable modes of transport. Um, I think it's it's worth noting as well that, that the vast majority of people um, who have these valid concerns should definitely be listened to and there should be more inclusive efforts made to engage with the community and to address those concerns and to find solutions that that work for everyone but there are also some bad actors i'm afraid um who are trying to stir up this this wider culture wars generally in our politics today and the the move to, towards more sustainable modes of transport generally not just in the uk but around the world like with this idea of car culture which I guess predominantly comes from America with where we can see where that's led in terms of these huge 16 lane motorways just getting clogged with traffic because we like the evidence is in now we know that if you create more space and more infrastructure for cars you're just going to end up with more and more traffic and more um, pollution and all the bad stuff that goes along with that especially in urban environments so we know um, that in order to make more quote-unquote livable um, neighborhoods and cities we need to try and shift away from cars and that does involve making it at least in the short term a little bit harder to use cars but the resistance to that from um, from oil companies I think and we have to be realistic about the fact that there is there are sort of many co covert some of them funding funded um, campaigns funded by um, oil giants to try and muddy the waters in terms of that evidence base um, and that's being jumped on by right-wing politicians um, who are just trying to get ordinary people to fight amongst themselves um, and 
we have to be vigilant against that and be realistic about the fact that there's um things are, are being confused at the moment by this sort of general narrative about sort of um i don't know yeah the the war on cars and mm. um and it, so that makes sense in that wider perspective that people are lumping in things like the ULES or the clean air zone with um low traffic neighborhoods and i, I can sort of understand that that within that bigger picture of a societal shift away from the car as the primary mode of transport in all societies um and also like a simp status symbol and a symbol of freedom and liberty um a lot of people are really really closely attached to that cultural idea of of their car um and this isn't about banning cars entirely or taking people's cars away from them but it is about shifting the way that we design our cities so that people who just want to get from A to B in the most convenient and affordable way possible have options that are not the car um, and we need to find ways of working together in our communities to to do that rather than sort of feeding into this toxic yeah, um, yeah. and I mean you, you we're talking about evidence based I mean do how are you aware sort of what is the success rate when this sort of stuff comes in and in terms of promoting other types of transport so I mean we talked about how bus services may be improved if there's less traffic in the area but also how does it affect sort of cycling or walking do we do we know what how it's panned out in other in other areas? Uh, I don't keep those statistics in my head, to be honest. But I, 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 I have seen stuff that you know it, it does obviously. I mean, for fairly obvious reasons. I mean, even people who probably oppose these kind of things would see that there would be a change to the way that people move around those streets because it feels safer. I mean, that's just common sense, I suppose, is that if you create a space that feels safer for people, like a plaza or a square in a city centre or something, you know people will walk across it after it's been you know like queen square is a good example in the center of bristol where it used to be like a dual carriageway through the middle of the city you know and then they closed it to vehicles and which there was a lot of opposition for at the time yeah exactly well. so i mean that's that's a really old example actually that was like the 80s 90s i can't remember exactly when it was but around yeah. 2000 that it was actually oh, a, okay so not even developed yeah i think yeah. i think it was the 90s where the so you know you've, you've got you've got these examples of where um people wouldn't have used a space in the same way they are and and one of the things that i would also say is that there's this thing called community severance which is basically where like you've got a large amount of traffic going on the road and it stops people from talking to their neighbors we did uh, i helped with a, a event where we put a little um parklet in on a street and um it was just after covid and um there's a couple of people there one of the people who organized that one of the residents was saying that her neighbor came over to talk to her because that was there that little space that had been created in the street um, and she hadn't spoken to her throughout the whole of COVID. Before that, they had a really good relationship. And it just brought people back together because there was actually a physical space that they could use. And so that's, all, that's, that's I suppose, the livable neighbourhoods aspect of it is people want to be able to know their neighbours, have good community relations with them, have a chat with them, have a cup of tea with them in the street, For potentially. kids to be able to play out in the street. I mean, yeah. like, it used to be quite normal in a quiet residential area that, kids would be running around kicking a ball about or whatever exactly um 
and at the moment people don't feel safe letting their kids run out in the street exactly it's, it's dangerous it's, cars and that community severance is like across like pretty much most streets in, in 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 the uk not just bristol and we need to tackle it we need to give it give people more of a chance to meet their neighbors and know them and that only helps like the community as a whole doesn't it like if we just continue to have this system where basically we're just throwing all the cars down the middle of residential roads it just isn't going to create that system that we need to give people better lives you know better better interactions with their neighbors and the people they want to know Oh, thank you. So lots to think about there. And as I said, we're going to hopefully in the next week or so have some residents in who on the other side of the debate who are opposed to the scheme and hear their views. Um, but yeah, I think we're, we're running out of time a bit today. Was there any final words, um, Tom and Rob, thanks for coming in and sort of saying your thoughts as local folk who will be affected by this? Um, how, any final words that you want to leave us or our listeners with? Um, just that I think... Of, you know, there's a lot of discussion online, elsewhere, around this. And I just think that, as Tom's been making a really good case for him, probably I'm a bit more of a kind of like, I'm a bit like hardline probably more than him in some sense. <laughs> but like, yeah, like we totally need to like have that sense of like other people have different views. Um, and I know that I've got very strong views, but like I know that that's, that's the difficulty here is that people just have different views on this. And sooner or later, you've got to implement something. Either you do it or you don't do it, but you've got to choose what you're going to do. And I hope hope for the sake of the community for the reasons that I've given that that's actually what happened and there will be my understanding is that if it go you know and it is currently planned to go ahead that there will be then be a review period in the first few months first mm. three to six months or something like that where they'll get people's feedback and and tweak it if they need to that's my understanding of how this works absolutely and tweaking things is, is totally part of this kind of design of transport schemes I think uh, it just really 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 helpful when people go oh that doesn't quite work and there's already been instances that I've heard of um of the scheme as it's proposed now where things have been tweaked as a result of input from the from residents so that has to keep happening of course uh, but also we shouldn't shouldn't like try and like rip up the scheme if it's been largely successful just because it's unpopular at that moment i think actually it's not just about popularity it's about what will actually be popular after it's after it's been brought in and implemented in full because this is the, remember just the the trial stage so when it goes in it will just be a trial and then later on it will maybe be permanent so yeah there could be a lot of change between the, the trial and the permanent but yeah that can hopefully happen um, and be an improvement on what had gone before Tom any final words um, yeah I suppose I, I, I look forward to having more conversations about it really because mm. I think as as much as I, I do agree with with everything Rob's saying but I think we need to have compassion for our neighbours as well and mm. I'm excited to have more spaces like you were saying about pocket parks and things and, and for for that shift um, for us to be able to sort of hang out in the street a bit more and speak to our neighbours and, and talk about how we want the space to actually be and reimagine cities in a different way than we've become used to over the last few decades. Well, thank you both very much for coming in and yeah, I'm sure we will we will be following on the One Love One Planet show how this all unfolds over the next few months. Thank you. That was Tibiri by Songo. And thanks again to Rob and Tom for coming in and telling us why they support the low traffic neighbourhood scheme that's going to be coming 
into Bristol in the next few months into East Bristol and as I said in the a few weeks hopefully next week or the week after we will have some local residents in to speak to us who are opposed to the scheme and they can put their views forward and say what they think needs to change. We are almost at the end of the show thank you so much for joining us today before we go I just want to uh, let people know about an event happening here at Eastern Community Centre tonight 7 till 9pm. It is called How to Stop an Oil Field. It's a public meeting. It's a hashtag Stop Rosebank and it said, the blurb says to stop Rosebank we need people across the UK taking action and putting pressure on decision makers. Join us in Bristol to discuss and make plans for how we can make this happen in our community. Obviously we don't have an oil field on our doorstep but uh, it's I think it's about supporting um, yeah, supporting the nationwide push to stop oil fields. So that is at Eastern Community Centre's public meeting today at 7pm lasting till 9pm today Tuesday the 29th of August called How to Stop an Oil Field and I think you can I think you can just turn up. Um, you can book tickets um, as well if you look online but I believe you can probably also just turn up. So that's almost us at the end of our show thank you so much for listening without you there is no show um keep it locked to bcfm for more tunes and chat but yeah please look after yourselves that's all from me shona jamfrey so please uh take care have a good day look after yourselves look after the planet and look after each other this is the podcast version of one love one planet the award-winning environmental radio show Broadcast every Tuesday at 11am on BCFM Radio, available on 93.2 FM, on digital radio and on the BCFM website. The show was produced and presented by Shona Jemfrey. You can find us on Twitter at Shona Jemfrey and at BCFM Radio.